grab a Bible before we start, and then that'll get us all going. If you need a Bible, guys will give them out here at the front. Uh, just wave, wave your hand. If you don't have a Bible, cool, Colin, down the back there. Michelle, do you want to grab some Bibles? And uh, if you don't have a Bible, in all seriousness, take it home with you. It's our gift to you this morning. Uh, we love the ancient scriptures. We love it because we meet Jesus there, and he transforms our lives. My name's Jason, if I've never met before formally. Uh, if you are new, thanks for coming this morning. We hope that you'll maybe hang around for a few minutes at the end and grab a tea, grab a coffee and something to eat with us. Uh, we'd love just to say hello to you and uh, get to know you. That's all. So it's a new year and um, I've stopped saying happy new year. Okay, so we're not going to do that again. It does get awkward come a point in time. Uh, but one of the things I've discovered this week, it's just a real practice that right here in Vineyard Church Dungana, we've discovered or we are discovering what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, the word maybe used a lot as disciple, we prefer the word apprentice, becoming like him. And there's three ways that we do that. We have to learn to be with Jesus. That's what a disciple does. That's what an apprentice does. They be with their rabbi. And uh, we become like him. And then the third most important thing is if an apprentice is not to get a certificate or some uh, piece of paper to say that you've gone through all the being with and becoming like, but to actually get to do something with God and become like him and do what he did. And so that all comes down to forming practices in our lives, right? So that we're transformed in this likeness. And uh, so what, one of the practices we're trying to do here in Vineyard Church in Gannon, if you've just joined us this morning, is the slowing down practice. How do you slow down your life? Well, I don't know about you, but life is pretty uh, chaotic and the speed of things just is just unbelievable, isn't it? Just how weeks go and months go and days go. But I found a practice to slow your life down. Big time. Uh, you may be um, familiar with it. It's called exercise. <laughs> and so during the week, we were uh, back at a spin class, and the guy shouted out, 40 seconds. As in, 40 seconds to go. Well, man, if you want to slow your life down, go to spin class, because 40 seconds felt like 40 days in, in my life. So I just want to commend that to you. If you want to slow things down, then exercise. Exercise. Let's pray. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, would you still our hearts, open our minds right now. Holy Spirit, come. We join with the church throughout the world today. Some hidden, some in open air, and some in buildings just like ours. God, as you promised when we asked for the Holy Spirit, you said that you would give them to us, and generously too. So I want to invite you, friend, walk in the room. Walk by each seat today. Give people what they need. Touch them, fill them, refresh them, warm their hearts so that they know you more, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we began a new series called Anchors. And it's a simple idea. It's just a simple idea of being grounded in a world of shifting sands. We live, to use the Jesus language, in a world of shifting sands. All around us, we we're trying to figure out what's truth and what's not truth and fake news. And it's just so chaotic and, and it's frantic. And it it's actually makes us, I don't know, anemic to actually what's going on around us. And so we, we live in this world of, of shifting sands. And so it's so, so important, as, just as a human being, but more so if you call yourself an apprentice of Jesus Christ, that we set ourselves to the task of knowing who we are and what we're for. Knowing what truth is, knowing what integrity is, knowing what character is, knowing who we are as people. It's important for all of your life. 
right? Not just for your spiritual life, but for actually every part of your life. As a family, we have anchors. The Scots have anchors. We know what our values are. We know what our non-negotiables are. And I'm sure just spread out throughout the black chairs today, you have non-negotiables in your house, right? You have values, things that you have... Uh, adhere to things that you hold in high regard and if you want to know a family's value then just cross the line whether it's non-verbal or not you soon find out once you cross the line in that house and so for us we have values one of our values is loyalty that's an anchor that keeps us sure and steadfast and that's we know who we are so one of the things that's really important to us as a family is commitment connection to relationship loyalty to people not things it's a huge huge thing so it's important, again, the task for setting anchors or earthing your anchor is figuring out who you are. It's really important to figure out who you are. And the same thing that goes with that is who you're called to be. Now, I know that throughout the, this generation uh, and society, it's not about who you are, but it's what you do. So we live in that type of society. And then the church is overcompensated too. We got really cheesy and we say, well, it's not what you do. It's actually who you are. It's you're a human being, and that sounds really cliche and makes me want to throw up at times. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, the two are equally important. It's important to know who you are, and then from that self-confidence in Christ and your identity in Him, then we discover who we really are, and then we do that. Our doing flows from who we are. So two are important. So you don't just ditch what we do. It's really important what you do. Jesus gave us, or God gave us, yeah, and Jesus was right there in the beginning. He gave us a huge task to rule and reign with him. So that is a huge task. We are called to do some things here on the earth. And again, this is not some self-help help January talk of getting back into life and talking about, you know, becoming your best self and all that. This is not this conversation. It's not about that. In fact, it's been a conversation that's gone through the, the early church fathers and right through the history of the church. In fact, I think I quoted him last week, Augustine, and it wrote in his confessions in AD 500, how can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? Know yourself, know your God. It's very important to that. Self-awareness, again, is, is a vital key to becoming an apprentice of Jesus Christ. If you want to follow Jesus, become like him, do the things that he does, then we need to set anchors. And I want to say that it's important to do that. It's important to, to become an apprentice of Jesus and to know what you're about and know who you are because he has a vision for your life and his vision is way beyond what you have for your own life. His vision is good. He's not made you to be a clone. He has designed you to thrive here on earth. And so it's very important that we're self-aware and that from that self-awareness, we become the people that he's called to us to be. Even if you think about that for a moment, Think about knowing yourself, becoming self-aware. Let me give you some examples. I'll, I'll pick on my trade for a moment. Pastors. How many of you have known pastors, maybe with large, significant churches? We read about it. It hits the headlines even here in Sleepy Dungannon. It gets all over the papers, all over the news, where we see a, a church, a large church, with a, 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 an inspiring pastor who teaches scripture, who reads and prays and and, and guides people into vision, but he's blinded by gray areas in his life, which leads to um, him imploding and bringing a church with him. It's sad, but we read about it. Blinded by their own shadow side. Not only do they bring themselves down, but they bring a church down with them, and it just causes chaos and disruption. More than that, it just causes pain and brokenness in the world. We see that. What about closer to home? 
For many of you know couples or friends who had such a brilliant future together. But the marriage was sabotaged with their inner brokenness. The stuff that they were blinded by, never saw, never dealt with. And they never shared their future together. Sabotaged from the get-go. Blindsided. And not maybe blindsided by the gray and by the darkness, but often a lot of people are blindsided by the beauty in their lives. That it's never exposed, that it never comes above and never earth, and they never see it, therefore they don't become who they're called to be. And it also sabotages relationships. Does that make sense? Parents who missed it, unaware of their stuff, maybe they were brought up with, and we just call that doing life, and we call that, you know, well, that's just the way I was brought up, and it, it hardened me, and I'm a better man for it, and I'm a better woman for it. No, you're not. You're a broken person. Parents who were blindsided by their stuff, and then it spills out onto their kids. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. Maybe that was you as a parent. Maybe that was your, you as a child. You're a recipient of brokenness in the family. Peter Scazzario, who's been a great help to me throughout the years, I recommend any of his reading. If you want to do a little extra reading around this series, I would recommend Emotionally Healthy Spirituality for Your Life. Uh, the vast majority said of us go to our graves without knowing who we are, without being fully aware of it. We live someone else's life, or at least someone else's expectations for us. As a result, we end up doing violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. So it's vital that if you're going to put anchors down, that ground us, that we're aware of both the beauty and the brokenness in our lives. And unfortunately, the more I journey with Jesus, uh, and, and that's why this formation thing, this is why these prayer room spaces, this is why scripture and solitude and fasting is so important because it takes us on a journey and all of us have a choice to go on that journey or not. But know this, you're called, as an apprentice, you're called to go on a journey of self-discovery. And so in these spaces, in these places, what I discover about my life is not often the, 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 the beauty that I've missed, but there's brokenness in my life. There's blind sides, there's shadows in my life that sometimes I'm so unaware of. And it's not just sin in my life, it's just nonsense in my life half the times. Which probably equates to sin at the same time. So let's go back into the ancient scriptures. If you have a Bible, pick it up in Matthew 3. Do you want to turn there? love to hear the sound of paper rustling. In all seriousness, I would encourage you, January is a great uh, grace time again, isn't it? Of like, I didn't do too hot last year reading scripture, I'm going to go again. I want to encourage you to open the scriptures daily. Some beautiful and brilliant uh, helps out there and resources. One of them is absolutely phenomenal, is version. How many of you use version? A few of you. Yeah, you can, if, if you get bored with scripture, you can pick a different plan. You know, if it doesn't agree with you, then you can, I'm just joking. If, uh, if you're not, you know, there's, there's short tips, there's short, there's short reads in that. So you can choose your plan. Uh, other thing that I like to do every so often is just buy a new Bible because I'm such a consumer. And sometimes I get a new Bible, it feels new and fresh, and I like to open a new book again. And even just go for a different translation every year. You know, one year you might read NIV and then next minute NLT and the message or whatever just to keep it interesting and keep your passion hot for finding Jesus throughout the scriptures. Are we nearly there? Yeah? Shout. Yep. Good. 
You doing okay? Falling back into routine. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Marmite. Love it, hate it. Okay. Let me read the ancient scriptures. It says, Then Jesus then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you not come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I love that. Do you ever have an argument with Jesus? And then just like, are oh, you right? John consented. Can I throw that out as a, as a self, a good thing to do in your life? When Jesus tells you to do some things, just consent. All right? It just makes life a lot easier. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache and bruising and pain on the way. Jesus says it, consent, do it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Key moment to Jesus' self-discovery, to his identity and his calling is in this text. Scholars, theologians debate, is this the time? Is it when he was... Uh, in the temple that he discovered who he was? It is, was it on the journey uh, to, with, the, with the, the people going to Passover celebration? Was that the time? I say this is a pretty key time. That he hears the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Let's keep reading on. You may have to turn a page. You may have to scroll up or scroll down on your phone or whatever you're using this morning. And then it says, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, this is hilarious, he was hungry. No kidding. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to cry out. If you are the Son of God, sorry, then tell these stones to become bread. This is the first seed of doubt. If you are the Son of God, we just read. The Father said to him, This is my beloved Son. I love you. And with you I'm well pleased. So this is the first seed of doubt that the tempter comes with. Let's read on, shall we? Verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, again, his identity, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written. So the devil's playing like poker. So I see you, Deuteronomy. I raise you, Deuteronomy. Do you get it? So he gives him another text from Deuteronomy. He said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, said, if you bow down and worship. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he said, and the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. Given to us in love. And we bless the name of the Lord. Notice what Jesus is tempted by or with. Or notice what he's not tempted with. Okay? You would expect it to, if it was our society, we'd expect ancient scriptures to read if it was written in the modern vernacular to to be like, you know, he was tempted with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Or sex, drugs, and alcohol. Not so we're not even close. It's a temptation 
to hand over his identity and calling. That's it. Simple, but crucial. And so Jesus said that the enemy's purpose and goal is this. It's quite simple. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his plan for your life. I used to grow up thinking it was for Mother Teresa, that the enemy go after somebody like that or a Billy Graham, but he never plays fair. And this is for the whole of humanity. This is his mission for the whole of humanity. That's why we see wars, rumors of wars, why we see starvation, why we see um, abuse and, and um, pedophilia and all these things in the world because the enemy of your soul has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to do all that there. And his primary strategy is to keep you finding out who you really are. If he can keep you finding out who you really are, if you really knew who you were, it would shake you to the core. These are not empty words this morning. I'm trying to hype it up or anything else this morning. But it also would shake the enemy of your soul big time. If you discovered who you are. And like I said last week, you're in Christ. You're becoming. There's that line again of, yeah, well, I'm still screwing up. I'm still, if you had to see what I was watching on TV last night where I paused that. If you had, a, uh, if you had been out with me yesterday. Yes. Of course, we've still got our stuff. We're still dealing with stuff. But it's who we are becoming in Christ, that future coming to earth. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's God's good future coming into our present. So in Christ, we are becoming and we have become. So if you're a Christian this morning, good news. If you're in Christ, you have an I am, right? You have an I am. And the I am is I am a son. I am a daughter. I am loved. He has set your identity. Not only do you have an I am, but you also have an I am statement. If you're in Christ, you have an I am who is God, who is everything, who is our resource. And you also have this statement that I am loved. I am son or daughter. So what God is doing with humanity is loving them into their future. I love that picture. It's the gospel grace of the kindness of God loving humanity into a good future. Brilliant phrase of helping us see what's happening. And so the war is on, and it's on your true self. It, it, it's, every time we sin, it's, that, it's just a false conception of who you are. Every time we sin, we forget who we are. It's not that we are sinners necessarily. And here's the thing, it's actually theological, theologically correct. I've never heard Jesus brand people sinners. They sin. But he talks to us in such a futuristic way that this is who we are becoming. His language is, is more helpful than, than condemning. He, he says to his words like, you are the light of the world. Really? I am the light of the world? You are salt. You are a healing agent here on earth. You bring health and you bring healing and you change things all around you. You permeate society. He's helpful, isn't he? In his language. And so that idea, again, if when we sin, we forget who we are. That's why the enemy has a war on who you are and your identity. Listen, you're more than your occupation. It's the identity factor again. We live in a culture, again, that is just permeated with what you do. It's, it's, it's the number one male conversation, meet new people. Hello, what's your name? What do you do? It's, it's a fixation on, on what we do. And like I said, we, we, those become our identities, our stuff. 
materialism. And again, those are all shifting sands. Pleasure, shifting sand. Worth, see it call. Shifting sand, work, shifting sand. What do you do if you lose your job? Who are you? How do you live for yourself if you're bold? No, seriously, Simon, how do you live for yourself when you're bold? Grow beard. <laughs> you're more than being a mom and a dad. That's brilliant. And it's a beautiful vocation. It's one of the highest vocations you can have. Again, if you read the book of Genesis, you're called to produce and be fruitful. And part of that is, is parenting and mother and father. And so it's a huge, huge thing. You're more than a brother and sister. You're, you're sons and daughters of King Jesus. It sounds cliche and it sounds tired at times because we hear it so often. But never allow it to become familiar because familiarity breeds contempt. The one who spoke into darkness and chaos speaks into your life. And he loves you into your future. And he's pulled you into his story and his story is one true story. I think this is why Paul loads up in the letter to the Ephesians with identity statements from chapter 1 that we looked at last week. And you might need to go back there and revisit that. Listen to that talk again. It's not to help with my ego, but it's just to immerse yourself in Ephesians 1. The whole of Ephesians from 1 to 3, he just talks about identity. You are. You are blessed. You're chosen. You're called. You're loved. You have, you have wisdom. You have understanding. He gives us, he loads us up with identity, identity, identity. And then it's from identity he gives us commands in chapter 4. Because it's who we are. When we know who we are, it's much easier to do. It's much easier to be what he's called us to do. And so he wants to steal your identity. He wants to keep you blindsided. And he does that primarily by lying to you. When our boys were growing up, I don't know, what, what, what's the hit thing at the minute? Like, what is the TV thing at the minute? Just shout out to my parents. You know that when you're up at six in the morning and you're sticking on things for your kid or you hand them an iPad and say, here, what's that? What's that? Peppa Pig. We had a parent in our church. Still kids out of room. We had a parent in our church one time told their kid Peppa Pig was dead. true story I was there <laughs> won't tell you who it is but her initials are S and C and she just came on staff this week <laughs> so it's January oh yeah I had a reason for that didn't I so when our kids were growing up they used to watch a thing called uh, Bear in the Big Blue House He's, he's real cool, right? And then there's a song, it's where, oh, where, oh, where is Shadow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're going to adopt that. Okay, okay. It wasn't a lead-in to get you to sing anything. I'm just trying to use an illustration to tell a story that will change your life. And so we should adopt that. Maybe we should start singing it. Just be aware you have a shadow side. We have gray sides. And it's all connected with your identity. So anyway, it's January, and I'm in Genesis. And man, you don't have to read far in Scripture to find out that the society and the world was screwed up and is screwed up and needs a Savior, needs a Jesus. 
Man, you don't have to read too far into Genesis to find out that when we're left to our own devices with this thing called free choice and dignity, and everybody wants it and everybody craves it, and yet what we do with it is absolutely tragic and painful. You don't have to read too far in Genesis to find out that every kingdom needs a king. And we live in such a post-Christian culture, and that's not trying to be hipster in any way. Because you can't do hipster in Dungannon. It just don't work. And what it means is society is craving all the benefits of kingdom without the king. They want peace. They want justice. They want fair play. They want a better society. They want a cleaner environment. They want so, so much, but they don't want Jesus. And every society needs a Jesus or needs the Jesus. So when you go through the book of Genesis, as I've been starting to do again from Genesis right through, discovered our brokenness. But the book is written in two parts, right? It's a very simple book. First part is from 1 to 11, and that's just broad umbrella. That's just God in the whole world. God in the whole world. That's the first part, 1 to 11. And then from 12 to 50, it's all about one man. His name is Abram, becomes Abraham and his whole family, and we're all linked into that. It's a whole bigger story. You've got to start reading it for yourself. I don't have time to explain everything this morning. And so the book begins by God taking the disorder and the darkness and bringing out of it order, beauty, and he makes the world flourish. And he's still making the world flourish, believe it or not. That's what we're called to do. You and I, as apprentices of Jesus Christ, are called to harness ourselves into Jesus Christ and to cause this world to flourish, to make it beautiful. So it begins with that. And then out of the chaos, he brings light and beauty and, and things that start to flourish, animals and creation and plants and, and I'm sure fragrance and everything that goes to that. And then he makes humans, or for the Hebrew word for that is Adam. And God makes them in his image, these humans. They are called to reflect his beauty and his glory and his majesty, to reign and they have an appointment. Their appointment is that they do represent God on earth. That's their calling. And out of this calling, from there to care for the world, to stir things well, creation, and then to harness again the potential so that more life can actually flourish. That's why we're called to, to multiply and to be fruitful. Our job as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is to, cause, or to, to make this planet here, this place called earth, to flourish. Did you know that? I just grew up with too many songs about this is not my home. Heaven is my home. You know, it's just like, beam me up, Scotty. What am I going to do for 40, 50 years? doesn't matter what you do. This is not our home. We're going up there. No, we're not going up there. He's coming down. He's making all things new. God has made his, his dwelling place with men, hasn't he? Right from the beginning, he was moving into the garden. He was moving into the neighborhood, and he's going to do it right at the end. Read Revelation 21 on in from there. So God blesses him. And that's a key word in the book. He blesses him. The blessing, the blessing, it goes from Genesis, from Adam, he blesses him, and then they, they screw up, and then it goes right from uh, Abraham, and then, it, and then he, the Jacob, that deceiver, the guy who, who, who just kind of out of whack, he actually ends up getting blessed too. So all of humanity becomes a blessing. So that's the key word, he blesses. And so when he blesses them, he, he gives them a space and a place that's called the garden so that they can start to bring life and establish this new world. 
And then what he does, and sometimes I think why, he gives them freedom to choose. <laughs> How to build this new world. And there's a tree that represents this choice. And up until now, God has provided for them. God is making the decisions for them. He's creating the stuff for them. He's giving them the things to eat, telling them what to do, and, and all that. And it's all pretty easy. He's defining for them right and wrong, what's good and what's not. And then he gives them dignity. He gives them dignity and he gives them choice so they can choose. They can choose God's definition of good and flourishing and thriving. Or they can make their own choices, which has huge consequences because to turn away from the giver of life actually brings death itself. So you've got to turn away from the one who brings life. You're actually lining yourself up with death and corruption. Chapter three, three enters the new character in the story. And we don't know much about him. He's called the snake, or as I like to call him, the cat. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I've stepped on some toes. Let's just keep to the scriptures. He's called the snake, okay? And we don't know a lot about him. He, he doesn't come in with any great introduction. Other than he is created. He's a creature that God has created. And it soon becomes clear, very clear, that he has entered into rebellion against God. And his task and his focus is to lead humanity into rebellion, into rebellion, into death. Are you with me? We are now three chapters into Genesis. How do you feel? Good? Picking up the story. But the snake tells a different story about the tree and the choices. The story goes like this. This tree won't bring death. But actually, it's a path to life. It's a path to becoming like God themselves. It's a path of becoming God. You can do it. You can become it. Now, the irony is tragic in this story. The irony is so tragic because we already know that the humans are like God. Do you get it? I just told you right from the start that they were made in the image of God to reflect and to represent God on earth. So they already are like God. And so what the serpent does, what the snake does, he comes with this irony saying, you will become God when we already know they are like God. They're not God, but we are like God and becoming like him. Does this make sense? Good. You're nervous. Are you nervous? It's all truth. It's all scripture. It's all good. Called to reflect his goodness, his character on earth. Instead of believing God's calling on their lives, and his definition of who they are and who they are to the world, guess what happens? Da-da! The world spirals out of control and has done. Continues to spiral out of control. And the first casualty is the human relationships. They're now vulnerable. They don't trust each other. They're naked. They want to cover themselves up, vulnerable, shame, identity. It's tragic, again, that that's the first casualty. The second casualty is the intimacy between God and humans. It's lost. They hide. And when God comes looking for them, and that's just gospel grace again, isn't it? Say, can I just get stuff out of my head that's in my head? Can I just do a little bit of catharsis? What do they call it? Catharsis? Can I get a bit of uh, healing this morning? Do you want to be a 
a um, Christian counselor. I, I, sometimes, I, you see, we, we tell the story that we, that, um, you know, we're seeking God, right? We're God seekers, and, and that's what humanity is, and we need to find God. But I don't know, I think the story of God is more God finding us and him running after us. It's just right from the beginning of the book, you can see humanity is hiding. How often do we hide from God and God comes and finds us? Huh? You tried it? Running to different countries, running into different relationships, running into more habitual habits that lead to more brokenness. We, we run and we hide and we hide and we hide and we hide. And all of a sudden he shows up in the most bizarre situations. And always through relationship. He's very kind. He's very kind. So that's the second casualty. They hide. And when God comes looking for them, what do they do? They start blaming each other. Does it sound familiar? Slightly. So the connection, this is where I'm going. The connection between these two stories is that God defines identity and the devil's tactic if you if you want to get this, this this could be a turning point in your life this morning god defines identity and the devil's tactic is to get you to forfeit your identity to hand over your identity you see god already told adam and eve and humanity and adam who they were they were like jesus they were like god they were like holy spirit they were like the triune god they were like them they were to reflect and to replenish and to cause the world to flourish. They were to represent God on earth. They had their identity and they had their calling and then they forfeit it, right? And then right that we read in Matthew, what was happening with Jesus? What was the first temptation? The enemy of our soul and the God's enemy was wanting Jesus to hand over his identity, his calling. And when we do that, when we do that, when we hand over our identity, when we hand over our calling, we settle for the best. For, for, sorry, we settle for what's at best, the status quo, and what's at worst, chaos. Let me say that again because I got a little tongue-tied on the way. When you hand over your identity and calling, when you do that, you settle for best, the status quo in your life. You just become a mimic of other people. You just reverberate the echo of society and culture. When we do that, when we hand over who we're called to be in Jesus, in union with Christ, Paul tells about it in Ephesus. When we do that, we settle for, for at best the status quo, but the worst case scenario for your life is chaos and death. And I don't mean physical death. For some people, it actually does mean it takes them down that path where they physically die. For all of us, all of us, most of us, we kill off our relationships. We kill off the best parts that God gives. And you know when we give away stuff to the enemy, we give away our best parts. Never our worst. Give all the stuff that God has called us to be and to do and all the things that would cause us to thrive, all the things that bring health, emotional health, spiritual health, and yes, physical health, all those things when we give up our identity and who we're called to be as sons and daughters, when we give up the I am statement, then what happens is we forfeit the best things that God has for us. And his future is good for our souls. His future is good for your life, your families, 
<clears throat> I am kind of biased, okay, because I've got to smoke what I'm selling, to use the turn of phrase. I am convinced that Jesus is the best for schools, for the health service, for families, for society, for politics, because I'm on the other side of the fence, right, because I've been on both sides of the fence. And I know that life without Jesus leads to chaos and death and destruction, but I know on the other side that Jesus is just the best thing for all of us in the world if we're done gallon and throwing. And we need him, but we don't always want him. So what happens if you line up with the lie of the enemy, you forfeit, forfeit yours and others' future. Do you know that? See, again, the nonsense and the sometimes the, the shenanigans and the, and the stuff that rolls off her tongue is just nonsense and unhelpful at times. You know, I meet people all the time and they're screwing their life up and then they say stuff, sure, they're not doing any harm. The only person they're hurting is, how are you kidding? How are you kidding? Do you know what society is like? The corrosion of families and friendships and relationships that were meant for eternity and we've made them these disposable things. Do you understand that every time you're tempted, you forfeit your identity and your calling, that you've put some things to the sword and that is your future, your faith and relationships? Do you understand that? There's always more at stake. And so anybody who thinks that, you know what, when I'm watching little soft porn on the TV, I'm the only person that I'm really harming is myself. Well, if you're in a relationship and that becomes exposed, it actually damages the relationship that you're in. And I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. There's always somebody else who's affected with the choices that we make. They're significant. No wonder the enemy wants to get a hold of your life. No wonder he wants to destroy your identity and your calling. Do you want me to give you good at pastoral advice? Phew! <laughs> You were even debating that one, weren't you? Will I say yes? Will I say no? This is the best advice, or one of the best pieces of advice I could give you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Or those who are considering becoming followers of Jesus Christ, too. Because not everybody is convinced yet. It comes through our doors. But here's the best piece of advice I can give you. Don't agree with the enemy. Don't agree with the enemy. When you agree with the enemy, you line yourself up with his vision for your life. It's that simple and yet that powerful. Don't agree with the enemy. When you do that, you line yourself up with the vision he has for your life. And the vision he has for your life isn't really anything grand. It's simply, like I said before, John 10, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and to destroy your life. And every time we line ourselves up or agree with the enemy, you empower him. You empower him. You give him the power. See, people panic. You know, Christians panic. You know, oh, you know, what if the devil gets on me? Or what if the devil does this? You know, I was, I'll share the story because I'm not using any names. I was at a teaching at a regional thing in England and one of the questions from a vineyard pastor was, you know, well, we were talking about the enemy and we were talking about demons and devils and all that fun stuff that Christians sometimes like to talk about. Sales books, it's absolutely brilliant. And so they, uh, this one question was, you know, well, should we, you know, what if something's in our house, should we actually go after it? And, they, you know, because it was, he, he was fear-driven. Genuinely, he was fear-driven, not love-driven. And so he said, you know, should we go after it? And, and, and 
and I was kind of ungracious because I just sort of went after the question and I hope he didn't feel like I was going after him but I was like of course you go after you always go after especially in your own home you always get the enemy out of every environment that you find yourself in see here's the thing that we, we're so fear driven we're so fear driven we think that the, the enemy's going to come in and sneak up and, and do something on us now, the only power that the enemy has over your life is the power that you actually hand him relax there's so much nonsense out there. There's so much wacko out there. There's so much weird out there. You know, that all of a sudden the devil can do anything to you. Of course he does. He comes and he steals and, and kills and destroys. Of course he does that. He puts cancer on people. He does all that stuff. He puts thoughts into people's minds. But you have choice. You have choice. There's always a way out of temptation, the scripture tells me. And Jesus' presence is always closer than the enemy's temptation. We live in this sort of upside-down, crazy world thinking sometimes that the devil has more power than Christ in his presence. Well, the only power that the enemy can have over your life is the power that you access him with. And that power usually happens when you line yourself up with the lie that he's spoken over your life. Is this making sense? And I watch too many Christians, too many children of God do it. Don't agree with the enemy. Don't do it. He has no power over your life. He gets it because you lend it to him. When you lend it to him, he's got it. Listen, freedom comes when you fight for it. And if we choose to give up and believe the lie of the enemy, we lose peace. And we lose a piece of our life. And unfortunately, this thing goes on till we draw our last breath. It's on an ongoing basis. And that's why it happens in our minds a lot of the times. Our thought life. The enemy wants to get a stronghold of your thought life. He wants to take the truth of what God has spoken over your life. And, and, and sort of, did he say that? Are you really that? Man, I mean, man, if people knew who they were sitting beside this morning, they knew what you watched or knew how you, you spoke to your wife or knew how you, you behaved to employees. Man, if people knew, you know when the people phone up to give you them sales calls? If they knew how you treated that person on the other line of the phone? You're exposed. You're exposed. And we want to, at our worst moment, just give in and line ourselves up with that lie coarsest stuff in your life but it's who we're becoming it's who we are in union with Christ and we have an I am and the next time the enemy comes it doesn't usually come in a dramatic fashion remember back in the story of the garden Eve's ongoing conversation with the snake Goes something like this. A woman was convinced. Says she was convinced the fruit looks so fresh and delicious. And it would make her so wise. I want to finish up with a question. Does that sound overly dramatic to you? No. But I guarantee it happens to you. 
I guarantee it happens to you. Every one of us has made unknown agreements with the enemy. And it can be very subtle. It's never dramatic. What is it? What is it if he speaks over your life that you're so tempted when you're tired and you're afraid and you, you just forget who you are? You forget your I am statement. What is it that he speaks over your life? So we're going to do something this morning. So let's just put down our stuff. If you've got notes or pens or Bibles, phones, let's put them down. And if you're comfortable, close your eyes. I just simply want to lead you in a prayer this morning. And then what we're going to do straight after this prayer is I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And then they're going to spend a bit more time here at the front. If you need some more prayer, a little extra prayer, maybe you're sick in your body this morning. Maybe your January has not got off to the start that you'd wished it had or prayed that it should or would have, could have happened. Or maybe there's just stuff in your life that you just need God to speak into. They would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. So they're going to be my left, my right here this morning. And they're going to have, you're going to have an opportunity to be prayed for. And for the rest of us, if you don't want prayer, let's grab tea, let's grab coffee, and let's connect with each other. But first and foremost, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. It's powerful if we, if we line our hearts up with it. And I really believe, especially in our society today, and this is not to get all hocus-pocus, but I do believe in the power of truth-telling. Because I know it's scriptural. It says that you'll know the truth, and truth sets you free. And therefore, to speak truth will set people free. And the first person you want to get free is yourself. Free people, free people. So if you're up for it, let's do it verbally. Let's do it with belief in the good Father that his intentions toward us are good, kind, and loving. And this is my ministry time with you guys this morning. Let me just invite the Holy Spirit to come and just to, to be all over this. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come in your loveliness. Come in your gentleness. Come in your wildness, but would you come? Thankful that you choose to present yourself with us. Okay, let's repeat after me. We'll do it slow so that you're connecting with the words and the power of truth this morning. Father, thank you for the truth. for your love for me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers all my sin and sets me free. I will no longer believe the lies of the enemy. I will no longer live in bondage. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I break every agreement I have made with the enemy. 
and I leave this place free. In Christ, who is my Lord, my Savior and Liberator, I pray in his powerful name, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. Prayer team, would you come? I invite you to come and receive prayer this morning. If you're not receiving prayer, when you grab tea, grab a coffee, and uh, 